Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and I sure hope you're enjoying this time going through the nativity narrative as much as I am, because this is a treasure. To see our Savior come into the world in which He'd created, and to bridge the gap between uh, God who cannot be in the presence of sin and who has condemned all sin and those who commit sin unto an eternal separation from himself unto death and and the very love of God that would extend the hope of salvation to all who would call upon Jesus and and become servants of God, literally just surrender their, their sin and and confess it and and become saved. I mean, you know, just trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their might and and f- just following Him and the Word of God in obedience that that death does not have a hold on them anymore. And so, Jesus is the bridge, literally. I mean, he's 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 the Son of God. He's he's incarnate and in that he receives from his mother the connection of flesh as being a man but his very birth is of the holy spirit and and every bit of god and so it's not like a hercules situation and i'm sure that that uh, many mythologies like greek and latin mythologies where you have your theseus in greek and in hercules and in rome and and all of these different children of the gods that are demigods and all of these powers that they have, but they're still just man. It's not like that at all. I mean, at all. <laughs> but you can see where all of these different religions draw from the the nature of, of the Torah. You can see where they draw from the nature of God's word. Uh so it's it's fascinating but we're back into the nativity narrative here we're going to do f- watch the flight to Egypt of Joseph as he carries his family and the purpose behind it and what God's plan is in it and just everything about it it's just perfect <laughs> it's just God it's perfect so let's get into prayer, and then we'll dive right into this this place of Egypt. Father, we thank you and ask that blessing be upon us as we consider these things today, that we may be able to rejoice as we learn of your Son's coming into this world that he had created, Father, a world that had fallen into corruption and fallen into sin by the, by the, the choice that Adam made in eating that fruit. And it, that it would require a perfect sacrifice to be able to cover the penalty of death for all mankind. And that Jesus was willing from the foundation of the world to be that lamb that would come and that would be sacrificed. The lamb that you, Father, provided for us as revealed in Isaiah 53. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That all that would call upon his name would not perish, but have everlasting life. That the, that his name is a name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of the Father, and that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so we thank you, Lord. We praise you for this blessing in Jesus' name and for his sake today. 
Amen. Nothing more thrilling than that to know that salvation has come and that salvation is here. It's very important to understand that we have to stop there. Salvation came and was born among men to pay for the price of men. And indeed, salvation died on the cross of Calvary for the purpose of being able to cover the, the corruption and sin of man, and salvation was resurrected uh, by the power of the operation of God to, to sit at the right hand of God at this very moment, making intercession for the children of God and, and being the example, being right there in the open for all to be able to come to know Him, to come to confess their sin to Him, to come to trust Him as their Savior. It's right there. And still a world rejects him and is willingly ignorant of him. So I just think it's powerful and I, and I think it's amazing. But here we have uh, another time to be able to talk about this most precious narrative of the birth of our king. And so we go to verse number 13 and we're going to move down because this begins the, the dream that, that Joseph received as concerning getting his tail off into Egypt and carrying his family to safety. Now, keeping in mind, yesterday we covered the, the scenario of the wise men. And, of course, there was a few things that we found with the wise men. is the fact that, that these wise men, they don't show up at, at the stable or the barn or the, the cutout in the rock where, where Jesus was born at the time where the shepherds were there and, and, and the, you know, all of these things like we see in this, this uh, nativity narrative that we have out in the yard and different things of that nature. Granted, we try to get all of the characters of, of the nativity into this thing so that when people are driving by, they're like, oh, yeah, that's the wise men. Oh, those are the shepherds. Oh, this is the, that and that's the other. But, of course, it's, it doesn't work. It's, it's not biblical. Let me say it that way. It might, it might play to the senses of mankind. They might enjoy it, looking at it and going, oh, I remember all these things, but I'm one of those people. <laughs> and, and it can be a drag, I have no doubt, but I'm one of those people that, that, that loves biblical accuracy. I, lo I love the Bible. I love, I love truth. And, and I don't much support errors. I don't support errors best I can with the knowledge I've got anyways, but I don't support uh, things that are inaccurate because it requires so much explanation. Somebody comes by and says, oh man, I really love your nativity. Those wise men look really cool. And then you, you have to go, yeah, well, let me say that these wise men really didn't actually show up until... Uh, you know, and that just, that's a long story. So biblical accuracy, if you had a stable over here uh, for your nativity in your yard, you had a stable over here and all of this, that you'd have the birth of Christ. And then you would have another scene with a house that's constructed and, and a young child sitting on the, the lap of his mother inside of this house. And then the wise men coming to the door and falling down bam you got it that's that's biblically accurate right there that's exactly what we saw yesterday is is that in verse number 12 and verse number 11 and 12 when the young child was there with his mother mary that the wise men found them in a house and they presented their gifts to him which is going to come in really handy especially with a chest full of gold 
Now, very handy because the flight to Egypt, you, you keep in mind, gold, the most precious commodity of that time, <clears throat> people just aren't walking around with a chest of gold, right? This is enough uh, subsistence. This is enough money to be able to support Joseph and his family by being able to travel, by being able to find temporary quarters there in Egypt, to be able to live a little bit of time. <laughs> this gold is perfect for that. And, and I wonder where these guys got the idea of carrying the gold. Interestingly enough, the gold for for the the king, right? The the frankincense for the priest, as it would be recognized, the priest, and the myrrh for the sacrifice. And so, it, it's it's pretty exciting that God utilized these wise men, as there would have been no reason for them to have come from their time of studies in astrology and all of their stuff out there in the east in the Asiatic country that they came from, uh, there would be no reason for them to come and, and, and seek out and worship this, this king of the Jews, being as that they come from a land that they have their own dynasties, their own kings, their own, their own everything. These guys were led by God to do this work. And God acknowledged his son's birth through these gifts that would be given by these wise men as to recognize the, the royalty of Jesus in the line of David with a chest of gold, the, the, the authority of Jesus in the line of Melchizedek. Remember that from Hebrews chapter number 6 or 7. It's in that ball game where where you find that that Jesus is in a comparison with the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is a priesthood that predates the law, which was established under Aaronic priesthood, or the priesthood of Aaron, which is with Moses when you have the establishment of the law. So Jesus, not only does he carry the royalty of the lineage of David as as being a, Jude, a Judean uh, born in Bethlehem, the city of David, but also that he carries the authority of the priesthood under Melchizedek, and that is recognized with the frankincense. And then, of course, the Lamb of God as recognized as the sacrifice. And so, a beautiful time in the house, these wise men. And of course, when the wise men received in their dream the, the reality that they needed to depart from from their, from their Mary and, and Jesus and go to their homeland another way, this is going to inflame uh, relationships with Herod. Obviously, Herod is going to discover that he's been uh, duped. I won't say lied to, nor will I say deceived, because first of all, these wise men, I have no doubt, came into town. They had no idea who Herod was. They they had no idea. I mean, they knew Rome very well, but it wasn't like they, they were even under the the rulership of Rome, possibly from where they came from out in the east. And so, though they knew about these these characters of this kingdom, it's not like they had any respect to it. It's not like they, they had any idea of it regardless. It didn't matter to them. And so, as they come in, Herod is being very 
uh, kind, I suppose, would be the best word to say. It is very amiable at their coming. But have you ever been around those people that you know that they have a secondary agenda even though they're being sweet to you? You get the vibe from the community or the church that you just walked into. You get that spirit that really is oppressive and people that won't look you in the eye and they're walking different ways and not very many people are chatting or or laughing or walking around freely. And here you have this this leader that that seems to be in in every way affable. He seems to be a very very amiable fella who who's who's kind hearted and welcomes you into his palace and and provides you with a meal and and is just just full of conversation and. And so it seems this is this is that Herod. It seems as though he he's just a a great ruler, a great guy. But then it comes down to this reason why you're here. And as soon as, of course, you saw yesterday that the wise men said, "Well, this is the reason why we're here with this born king." He says, "Oh, tell me where he's at." Now again, they knew exactly where to find him because the star was leading them right to the door. But Herod didn't know, and Herod was longing for this, because if he can squash any hope of resistance, then he's going to kill whatever he has to kill and whoever he has to kill in order to do so. Needless to say, those wise men got the the vibe from the Lord directly that this is not a way that you want to be going, and so they departed to their home another way. Herod's going to discover this, He's going to consider this a slight against his character. Today we shall see that, and he's going to go stark raving mad. So, but by the way, as we read the scriptures today, you're going to see that God already knew what was going to happen. There is this this element of predestination in this this writing because God knew what was going to happen. I mean, well before any of this took place, God knew Mary was going to accept his his uh, blessing of placing his child in her womb. God knew Joseph was going to back his play and take care of his his child and and Joseph's wife. God God knew that the taxation was going to happen and made provisions to make sure Mary and Joseph could get down to Bethlehem because that's where his son's going to be born. God knew. I mean, you look at all of the prophecies that already tell you that God knew. It's impossible to not see how God prepared, planned, and, and put into motion every single detail of this narrative. It is predestined to take place. I mean, you have over 250 uh, prophecies that, from Genesis clear up to Malachi that, that testify this moment. So it, there's no question about the doctrine of predestination. It's just how mankind manipulates it that is the great problem. So we come to verse number 13, and we're going to read right now from Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, and we're going to go down to verse number 18. And the scripture says in verse number 13, When they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. 
And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was extremely angry and sent forth and killed all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by, by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they were they are not. Oh my Lord, how many prophecies. <laughs> it's one of the things that I was sitting there and I was thinking about just before beginning this this session with you <clears throat> is how many prophecies are being fulfilled uh, at, just at the birth of Jesus, just just at his, at his coming, his advent. And, you know, we, we start back at, at Isaiah chapter number 7, which is a testimony that was brought forth from the angel. We go back to Micah chapter number 5 and verse number 2 that the that the guys, the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests would tell tell him, yeah, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. Herod, he's like, Herod, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem that that this child is to be born from these wise men that are following a star. And then we have two more prophecies that, that are for fulfilled as concerning Matthew chapter number 2 and verse number 15. And the prophecy of of coming out of Egypt, which is which is a very powerful point uh, to be made. Let's find out where that's coming out of. Numbers chapter twenty four and verse number eight. It says, "God brought him forth out of Egypt. He has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies." and shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows. <laughs> that That's a comforting thought now, isn't it? And uh, Hosea, uh, chapter number 11, which is a book of a prophet. So we, we see from, from Numbers 28, the book of the law, in, in this point of prophecy that's given by Moses, but also in Hosea, chapter number 11 uh, keeping in mind Hosea being in the lineage of Jesus as revealed from Joseph's line, it says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And so, uh, very important that we have between Numbers 24 and Hosea 11, the fulfillment of this prophecy that Jesus was going to go down into Egypt. And of course, Egypt is a border that Rome doesn't have any authority over. At this point of time, Egypt is still a very powerful nation, even though it had lost its drive to be able to conquer the world, which had been Pharaoh's dream, and it's no longer even being led by Pharaohs as they were godmen, so to speak, and all of that mess. But still, they're a very powerful nation, a very wealthy nation, and Rome has no authority or power over the Egyptian kingdom, which is why God, in a dream, got Joseph to go flee into 
uh, Egypt is because this is a place where Herod would have no authority to be able to barter his life as far as extradition even. This, this has, if Rome was come knocking on Egypt's door saying, you've got one of ours, let him go. Egypt says, not, nah, we're going to keep him because we have that power over you. And God knew. Now it comes down and we see from, from this prophecy as being fulfilled that, that indeed Herod, we're going to talk about that guy. He saw that he was mocked. Now, the reality of, of the way that this is written is when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men. Now, the wise men didn't say anything about Herod. And when we consider the word mocked, we think about the maybe they jested with him or maybe they had spread rumors or picked on him or whatever. But the reality is, is that this concept of mocked is not coming from what the, what the wise men did. It's coming from the way that Herod thinks. Herod is an extremely paranoid ruler. He's prepared to kill anything and anyone that speaks out even, even a little bit about his, his authority, about his rulership. He's, he's, he's ready to kill anything around him to be able to secure his position, even if it means killing Romans. He, it, it really doesn't matter with Herod. He's prepared to kill anything that moves in order to continue being the governor of Jerusalem. And so when those wise men who knew exactly where that born king was supposed to be, when those wise men didn't come back, Herod immediately went on an offensive. How, how dare they mock me? And, and I think if it were possible when he went on this mass slaughter of these children, that if the wise men would have been in that path, that they would have certainly, those soldiers had orders to to wipe those wise men out because you don't mock Herod and and expect to get away with that. I mean, to 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 not obey Herod is to uh, is a death sentence. But again, the reality that Herod's reign, his authority, only only spans the essentially the kingdom of southern Judah. Uh, the the southern kingdoms of Israel. That's all his his power expands to. And so these wise men who come from the east, as they as they begin their journey back out of the borders of Herod's authority, what's he gonna do? I mean, he certainly isn't gonna chase them into uncharted territories uh, that they came from. And so it shows that when Herod saw that he was mocked of the wise men, he was extremely angry. Well, this is Herod's M.O. I, th I think the man remains angry. I think that, that happiness or laughter or kindness is all the act. I think the extreme anger that, that is revealed in Scripture, I think that is the, the, the normalcy of, of Herod's existence, which you may very well know some people just like Herod, where... In their kindness, in their happiness, in their in their moments of that that nature, those are all actually not the person, but the person putting on airs for whatever situation that they're in. Perhaps they've had to be drugged to a party. Perhaps they they had to perform a function at at their job site or at the work. The boss said, "Nope, I've chosen you for this job," and you're like, "No, just leave me in my cave and let me do my job." And the boss said, "You're you're gonna do this." And so 
there there's a lot of ways that you'll find that that people who seem happy around you are actually absolute miserable wretches but they they're going to chameleon they're going to put on the show for the length of time that it is necessary for them to be able to show themselves as as friendly or whatever they need to show themselves as but in reality they're just hateful old broken wretches <laughs> and we all do that we all do that to a to a certain extent that that is the nature of mankind in its corruption making its own decisions believing that it has that capacity to be able to make those decisions and and we don't but herod was extremely angry herod's order right here in verse number 16 kill all the children in bethlehem but by the way, he doesn't stop there. Now, this is the important point that, that is made as concerning God communicating to Joseph in that dream to take his son and, and Mary and head down all the way to Egypt. Because when Herod discovered, I don't know what the time frame would be in this, but you know, snail mail is pretty slow in the United States right now. And you can only imagine when there wasn't this kind of mail, where there wasn't cars, where everything was done by foot or horse or chariot as it was, and you're only traveling in one day, maybe 16 to 20 miles. You're, you're not traveling uh, 500 to 1,000 miles in a day, right? So needless to say that, that when Herod found out, there's a period of time where these wise men get to where they're going, and Herod's throwing parties because he's like, guys, I know uh, this is an exciting moment. This would be one of those times where Herod might actually have been truly happy because the the idea of Messiah that's been proclaimed through all of these other pro prophets and priests and, and all of these people running around the streets talking about the hope of Messiah to come and, and the idea of Messiah, the idea of a born king, I now know who it is. In point of reference, I know where he's born. I know he's on this earth and that he's flesh and blood. Praise God, I'm, I'm, I'm rejoicing because I can kill him. And then there's nothing. There's no opposition whatsoever. And I will reign. What a thrill was in, in Herod's heart until those wise men didn't come back. <laughs> Oh boy, was he prepared to do what was necessary to secure his authority. So what does he do? He puts out the order, kill all the children in Bethlehem, but also the coast thereof. So you start at Bethlehem and then just slaughter all the children from every village all the way down until you hit the tip of the of, of the kingdom of Egypt until until you literally get into a place where you're no longer in 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 the boundaries of our our authority anymore you just kill them all i mean when you when you think about the return of jesus from egypt i w i want you to realize that that from the time they cross over into the borders that would be recognized as the kingdom of Judea, all the way down in the southern tip near the Red Sea, 
By the time they cross over the border that would be recognized as the kingdom of Judea, which would be the rulership of, of Herod at this point from the, from the seat of Jerusalem, that there would be no children Jesus' age. There would be no, no children at all. Because when Herod discovered that, that those wise men took off without telling him the location of that born king, he knows that that born king is in Bethlehem, and he knows that it's possible that that, that family of the king could have family around the area and could be traveling within that area. So, Herod just puts out a blanket statement to the whole area so you can understand and point when Jesus returns that, that all the children and a lot of the mothers who were even pregnant were slaughtered. And I mean in the, in the extreme anger of Herod, the, he wiped out a whole generation in that area. And so when it was time for Joseph to come back, when it was time that, that he would bring his family back into the land of Israel, that as Jesus would come, there's no children. There's no uh, contemporaries to Jesus in that southern kingdom. Now, uh, something of importance that would be recognized is that the southern kingdoms that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were not connected to the southern kingdoms. So it's very important to realize that, that John survived this, this mass slaughter that would begin at, at Bethlehem and go forward because John was, was either with his family in the outskirts of the area of Jerusalem itself where the king was, or he was of the northern kingdoms and the children in that area have survived. But from Bethlehem, seven miles away from that area, and everything all the way down the coastline, there's no children of that generation, none at all. If you were three years old or older, uh, you were alive. But how does a soldier know the difference between a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, and a well, six-year-old, I suppose, is a little bit different because they're a little bit taller, and, and they seem more faculties to them but the age range from say four to to zero i mean there was a whole generation that was completely erased uh, by herod and and that is another prophecy being fulfilled is it not i mean we find it there in verse number 16 he says that he killed all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast from two years of age and, and under. Now, why two years old and under? Again, I was explaining that as to how I believe that Jesus was, was at least approximately a year old from his birth sitting on his mother's lap uh, during the time of the visit of the wise men because, again, the scripture testifies that, that Herod would target two years old and under according to the time. Now, remember, when, when Herod asked, he acquired of those wise men, when did you see this star? How long have you been following this star? this star he says that that he killed all the children two years 
old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So as soon as those wise men said, where's the born king? Uh, Herod immediately goes into action trying to figure out, okay, where is my enemy? What is the age of my enemy? What am I going to expect? And how long do I have? <laughs> I mean, so he's, he's paying very close attention. And so we find that this was the case. Verse 17 shows us the, another prophecy being fulfilled. So we have three prophecies. Now we have four prophecies that are being fulfilled. The scripture says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet. In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. Now, uh, there's a point of prophecy, but also a point of reality in this text, because you realize that uh, Jacob's wife, Rachel, I mean, and that was the woman that he was working for, you know what I'm saying? Remember those seven years that he devoted to his father, his father-in-law, Laban, and that he would go into his tent that night after those seven years of, of increasing the prophets of Laban, and, and what would he find but Leah in the tent? What? Wait a minute, I've been deceived. We didn't want Leah, he wanted Rachel. And so that there was an agreement that was made on the spot that Rachel was given to him in the very same time if he was to promise seven more years. Of course, that was a failure of Laban's understanding because Jacob was siphoning multitude of herds off of Laban's uh, livestock simply because if it had spots, it was no good. So Jacob would, would interbreed those those livestock to be able to create spots because he knew what would make them happen and so he got the the offshoots of the ones that had spots and then Laban would say well okay I'll, I'll take the ones with spots but if they, if they have uh, lines on them well Jacob wouldn't interbreed and, and create the lines I mean the guy was absolutely just just intelligent concerning uh, the raising of livestock but the point that Rachel, when she died, was not buried in the tombs of her father where Abraham was and Isaac was. She's not buried in the tomb with his father. Uh, Rachel was not buried with him. Rachel was buried at at the roadside, literally a, a place in the roadside of Bethlehem. And so it's one of the more venerated sites in, in any uh, given tours, uh, Christian tours or what have you, is is that the tomb of Rachel, uh, which is still there, by the way, and and so she was buried at at Bethlehem in point of prophecy that 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 would be made even. I mean, what is this? Close to a thousand years after death, that. She would be weeping for her children because they are not. And a whole generation of these children that literally would be of the children of of Rachel. Because remember that, uh, of course, this is not dealing with her son. Bethlehem is a part of Judah and, and his tribe. And Judah was the fourth born of the lineage of Jacob. And his mother was Leah, not Rachel. 
But then you you keep in mind that you you've got this situation of Benjamin, which is uh, connected to the southern kingdoms as well, and and Benjamin was the child along with Joseph of Rachel. It was the only two children that she produced, and they were the last two children of the twelve tribes. And so it's very important to realize that that. Rachel, as as you have the slaughtering of the generation, you have the fulfillment and point of this prophecy that is made uh, concerning Rachel by Jeremiah. So that's four prophecies that are fulfilled at the birth of Jesus. Now, the, the reason why we're keeping up with the concept of the prophecies is because you've got this antichrist that's going to come in and you've got this antichrist or this false prophet that's going to come in and and they're going to try and sell themselves to the world as being a messiah and and they're going to try and and manipulate the concept of prophecy's fulfillment in order for them to look like the messiah so you really got an idea i mean the minute details of of all these things that that they would have to try and lie about in order for them to be seen as Messiah, not only to the Jews, but also to the Christian. So, uh, well, of course, now I'll take that back on the people that claim to be Christian, because most, most Christians have no clue, have absolutely zero clue about what the Bible says. <laughs> and that's a sad truth. Most people running around today claiming to be Christian actually are what it, what uh, I believe it was Mike Winger was saying about pop Christianity as popular Christianity. They they don't have a clue about Bible. They don't have a clue about prophecy. They don't have a clue about how prophecy ties in with the New Testament and how the whole Testament of both the the old covenant and the new covenant come together in Christ. They 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 know nothing. They know nothing about the Bible. But boy, they're good Christians. <laughs> no, 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 no. So uh, you got all of that information at the at the the destination of Egypt at the slaughtering of the children. So <clears throat> praise the Lord. We'll get into the return from Egypt tomorrow as we enter into verse number 19 we'll, we'll we'll be coming back after the understanding of the message that Herod is dead we'll be coming back uh into the land but we're going to bypass Bethlehem and we'll see all of that uh because J- uh, Joseph was actually looking to go back to the house that he had that he had there in Bethlehem. I mean, what I mean, you got a home there now. I mean, that's where your people come from. That's that's who you are. It would be like me being told by an by uh the antichrist by a world ruler, "Okay, you got to you got to go back to the land of your ancestors for a taxation. So I would have to pack up everything that I have, my family, out because both me and my wife. So so we would all we would have to go back to Scotland. And and you know, once we got into Scotland and we discovered uh, our home places and we we actually had been there for a period of time cuz it's not like you're just going to pack up your life and head over there and then just a week later pack up and head back or anything of that nature. So that we established a home there, we started uh, work there, we got employed there, we're, we're, we're there. 
only to find out, okay, well, there's going to be a mass slaughter that's going to happen in this area so that we flee into another part. But, I mean, now our home is, is in Europe. Our home is overseas. So we want to go back to that area that, that we came from because that's a rediscovery of a culture, just like it would be uh, for, for Joseph and for Mary, both who were from Bethlehem, both of them in lineage but we're living 70 miles north in Galilee. So then they head uh, hundreds of miles south into Egypt. Well, they're coming back up. I mean, let's go home, so to speak, right there at Bethlehem. But we'll see what happens with that. Of course, you already know. But perhaps I've got a little more information to add to it so you can see it clearly. I don't know. But we'll trust the Lord either way. Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for the prophecy's fulfillment that brings forth knowledge that our King indeed has risen and our King stands for us. We thank you, Lord, for how you have protected your family. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done in us, with us, and through us. In the blessed name of Jesus, we give our thanks, Lord. Amen. Well, God bless you guys, keep you guys, cause his face to shine upon you guys, and I shall see you tomorrow for verse number 19 and the return from Egypt. God bless.